I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 160, and today's guest is Ben Jabawi, founder and CEO of Privy. It is a known fact that building a business is hard. It can be tricky because as an entrepreneur, you are filled with optimism. You're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into a business, and it might feel like you're making progress and great traction. Yet, it could all just be a false positive. So what happens if you come to this realization? Then to put another layer of complexity to the scenario, the situation gets worse. An acquisition falls through, and you are left with $1,000 in the company's bank account. Well, you could shut down the company, which would be a logical decision for most people, or you could pivot and bet your company on one piece of your platform. This is exactly the scenario that happened to Ben. Pivots fail too, but in this example, it couldn't have turned out better, and it is a great story for all entrepreneurs to hear. Privy is now the leader in e-commerce marketing for small businesses and entrepreneurs. They are on a mission to be the front office operating system for e-commerce and it's working. They have over 400,000 stores in 180 countries using their platform for marketing automation. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like Ben's early career and how he got into entrepreneurship, the first iteration of Privy and some of the lessons learned, hitting rock bottom with the failed acquisition and the decision to pivot, all the details on Privy's incredible growth since and what's in store for the future, advice on communicating good and bad news with investors, how to determine when to pivot your business, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then you might want to add a BizPage subscription. It is our employment branding and hiring solution that helps to keep your company top of mind for our targeted audience of professionals in the tech industry. A BizPage subscription includes an employment branding page, unlimited postings to our job board, access to our exclusive content series, and more. Send an email to info at for more details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Ben. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Keith, excited to be here. Uh, so we're going to talk about a great, great pivot that you made with Privy, which is one of the best stories I've, I've heard from an entrepreneur. Sometimes the pivot, uh, the pivot works, sometimes the pivot doesn't work, but this is the, the case of a great pivot that has led to tremendous growth for your company. Uh, but something that I found really interesting, and this kind of relates to what Privy does, um, you, know, you see how technology evolves and there's all these latest and greatest things that companies are doing. Uh, and ways to get your content out there or to acquire new customers. Yet, all of a sudden, the old technology has certainly come full circle and it's not new, but certainly highly, highly relevant. And that's email. <laughs> so what, like, what has been the trend that has made like email all of a sudden like the thing that people are focused on again? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question. So um, we feel that email is an anchor for business marketing. And, you know, if you think about a lot of the trends over the last five or 10 years, like all these other channels have sprouted up, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, all of that. But um, one of the core tenants that is unique to email, and actually we're starting to see this with text message too, um, is that you as the, the business or the entrepreneur, you own that direct relationship with your customer. And, um, you know, versus some of these other channels and networks that we've talked about where there's algorithms involved, they're changing all the time. Um, and, you know, you might be building an audience that you can't then reach or you have to pay to get in front of. Email is tried and true. Uh, it's a direct line of communication. So as long as you don't screw it up, 
then you know you're going to maintain that relationship and that's so important right that one-to-one relationship of being able to control your communication and actually getting it to the eyeballs and know that hopefully it ends up in their inbox and they open it um you know because that's a whole nother thing of just you know avoiding the spam filters but um they're opting in that shouldn't happen yeah let's let's rewind the clock so uh so where did you grow up what were you like as a child (laughs) uh what was i like as a child wow good question so i grew up in newton massachusetts just outside of boston here um i was uh in an athlete um and played a lot of soccer uh but in school and, and at home was like really uh obsessed with physics science uh, building blocks, all that kind of good stuff. And then you eventually went on to, uh, to school at Cornell and you studied operations research and industrial engineering. So obviously Cornell is an amazing school, but what, what led you down the path of studying that? Yeah. Uh, operations research is actually the major that you go into at Cornell. Um, when you're, when you finally realize that the engineering school is too hard for you. Um, <laughs> so I, I started down the path of electrical engineering. Uh, I think it was like in my first circuits class where I was like, okay, uh, my options here are to never graduate or to, to find a different major that combined more of what I really cared about. So, uh, the OR major, you know, you do some supply chain, you do a lot of math, uh, you do a little bit of computer programming, um, and you still have time to take classes like like entrepreneurship and and different things like that. Okay, that's a perfect segue. So how did how did you get into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so both of my my parents actually uh, started their own companies. Um, so you know, different businesses that they each had that they've run for years. Uh, so sitting around our our dining room table. You know, the conversation was always focused on taking risks. Um, I, I saw the ups and downs, uh, the good times, the bad that, that both of my parents had. Um, and it was kind of like the only thing that I knew, right? And you take that, that DNA and you pair that with a love of building as a kid, uh, math, science, and, and programming. And, you know, I think... It's not like I, I sat out and said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur one day. It was just kind of, it was the one thing that I, I understood truly. And then, so in you, did you actually start a company while you were still in school? I was working on, on different things. Nothing, you know, I had a project that was trying to get uh, high school kids excited about STEM education um, by focusing on some of the innovation and technology. It was really like a publication, but um, never really took it anywhere. So, but so the first company that you founded was Tiverus, Tiverus apps. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So after school, I, I, I hooked up with a, a family friend that had been successful starting and selling some energy based businesses, mm-hmm. uh, like in the clean tech wave and, um, really just joined forces with him as his right hand man. I was building furniture. I was, uh, setting up payroll, uh, you know, building decks for, for fundraising, things like that. The company that he was starting at the time was called Oasis Water here in Boston. Um, and that was an incredible experience for me because I just was exposed to everything about starting a technology company. Um, it wasn't an area that I was super excited about, uh, but really learned a lot. And, and on the side, 
uh, actually with a friend of mine from that company, we were working on some iPhone apps, um, one of which uh, was called G-Push. Um, and, and Ellie, uh, he, he is the, the founder of Apptopia here in Boston. So um, we, together with, with a developer from MIT, were just kind of uh, working on stuff on the weekends. Uh, one of those, G-Push, really took off and kind of helped me understand and give me confidence that, hey, the experience I've had over the last few years at Oasis building a company um, paired with an area of technology that I actually better understand, which was software and mobile, um, is something that could really work for me. And that was the early days of the app store, right? I mean, you guys were one of the yeah. top 25 apps that were, was being downloaded back in the day. Yeah, it was, it was a total Band-Aid solution. Like, I don't think any of us ever expected that to become a, a real sustainable business. But um, we took advantage of a, a point in time uh, and a market that was still developing. And uh, it really worked. All right, well, let's talk about Privy. So this is kind of the, the meat of, the, of the, the conversation here. So there's two different uh, iterations. There's the original idea and then kind of the life cycle of that company and then the pivot. So what was the original idea when you, when you started the company? Yeah, so um, for my dad's business was B2B. He had a CRM, marketing automation, all of that. Uh, my mom's business was selling to the consumer. And what I found uh, just being the technical one in the house was she would always say, hey, build me a website. What's email marketing? What's Facebook? And I found that, um, you know, whereas for my dad's business in B2B, there were specific tools and solutions you could implement. Uh, for the B2C side, uh, there really wasn't much there. I mean, certainly Constant Contact and MailChimp have been around forever. There was some stuff around Groupon, and I started to say, like, oh, wow, this is actually really interesting um, as more of these direct-to-consumer businesses uh, are, are coming online and recognizing the importance of digital, there should be solutions that they can adopt themselves to do better marketing. Um, the original kind of iteration was focused squarely on brick-and-mortar businesses, so restaurants, retailers that had physical storefronts, and were starting to spend money on digital ads and trying to essentially close the loop of, hey, I bought a Facebook ad, uh, how many customers did that drive into my store? And so that was, you know, how we started uh, Privy originally. The idea was just, hey, take those coupons that you would have run in the local newspaper, design them, publish them online as a way to capture an email and track the effectiveness of your, your digital ads. So very relevant. I mean, so this is 2011-ish timeframe. So that you know, attribution, right? And you know, people weren't like, okay, I, I did this campaign. Did we get anything out of it? But so you guys were ahead of the, the curve for the attribution world. Yeah, it was a big idea. You know, a lot of like people in tech and VCs were talking about like closing the loop of online to offline. And um, you know, we so that was where we, we got our original angel investors and seed round focused on that concept, um, you know, uh, spent uh, two years really like cold calling, walking down Main Street, talking to business owners. Um, we got a handful of false positives around that. So we closed some, you know, regional operators that had 10 to 50 locations that we're seeing a lot of value out of it. Hard Rock at the corporate level, Brugger's at the corporate level. Um, 
and it was working really well for them. But the the challenge uh, in brick and mortar was the go to market. You know, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to convince the marketing teams to implement something um, that affects in store operations. And uh, the folks that were buying early on for us were really early adopters. And you know, oh by the way, I've made every every mistake in the book. Um, so you know, we were kind of flat for a while. Um, learned a lot, uh, and we're we're fortunate enough to have some bigger tech companies um, interested in like aqua hiring us. Got it. Yeah, because you actually had a full on sales model where it was inside and outside. So you're out trying to sell like almost like an enterprise level license uh, to companies. So, so you had some early adopters where you're like, okay, this is working. Uh, let's implement and go time with the sales model. And then you, you realized the early adopters weren't common. Yeah, we, we did a lot of things wrong. So um, we were having a hard time connecting with additional businesses past our like handful of early adopters. Um, we, made it hard to buy the software, right? So you had to talk to a sales rep, you had to sign a contract before you saw as the, the business owner or the marketer any value from what we were doing. Mm. And our messaging was focused on like closing the loop and changing the world as opposed to just like, hey, we're gonna do one thing better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a way to try it and recognize that value before we ask you to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those are a couple kind of bullets that stand out to me from the first iteration of the company before we really started to drive success. Okay. So someone, you know, a company approaches you and says, Hey, we're potentially interested in, in acquiring. So that process is very, uh, time consuming. It takes, you know, it's a distraction. So, 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 so what was that like? Uh, really interesting. Um, glad that I went through it, you know, to a founder that is running out of money, uh, that hasn't feel like they've found product market fit and the company's not growing. The idea of selling the business is a solid, like soft landing. Right. Um, and so, uh, went down that process, uh, that I'd say it was like a six month period was crazy. Like just your body is so tense during that period. You're trying to manage a deal. You're trying to manage a team and keep them from getting distracted. Um, You're trying to manage existing investors that know that you're running out of money. Um, And you just feel like every wrong move is going to put this all at risk. Um, And so you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways from that experience, and there were certainly a lot, is that uh, it's very hard to actively sell your company, right? If you aren't doing that from a position of strength. Right. You want to be on, you know, seeing growth of sales and almost being like, I don't have time to talk to you where they're, you know, chasing after you versus, hey, I'm running out of capital and (laughs) this would be a very good thing for our business. Totally. It's, it's, it's the exact same thing to like fundraising, right? You want to talk to investors when you don't need money. Right. right? Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a grueling experience. Um, you know, I think like there were periods where I literally couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Um, and it sucked, 
honestly. And then to top it all off, it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So a number of things um, kept unraveling uh, with with the company that we were moving ahead with, um, and ultimately the deal kind of crumbled um, when we were on our last leg. We really only had a thousand dollars left in the account. A thousand dollars left in the account. Yeah, I have a screenshot of it somewhere. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, what do you do next? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what are your options, right? First time founder. Uh, raise the seed round, running out of money. Um, we, I, I felt in my gut uh, that we never really nailed it and that there was a, a slight iteration of what we were doing that was working for a very specific customer. So I knew like in my heart there was something here. I just, I failed at, at getting it right. The other side of me was like, what are my options, you know? Um, I don't really have a very specific set of experience. So, you know, sure, I could go get some, some entry level job at a big tech company and, and try to write this off and put it behind me. Or I could take another crack at it uh, now that the pressure was off, so to speak, and no one really was thinking about privy um, and really take the time to focus on the one or two things that I did feel we had an opportunity around and change everything about the business. And so, um, you know, we were a small team at the time. Uh, everyone was very well aware of, of how much money we had left and, and the timeline. So um, people kind of split off and those that, that needed to, to get jobs went off and did that. Um, but I did ask uh, two of the developers that were with me at the time. I said, hey, like, I think that there's something here. Um, you know, if I could get a handful of our customers that really see value to pay up front for the year, would you consider sticking around and rebuilding this uh, in a different way? And thankfully, you know, uh, two, two folks did that with me. So what was this kind of narrow focus that you, you know, Privy was doing a whole different suite of things for customers, but you kind of narrowed down the focus of the company. So what, so what did you end up doing? Yeah. So the handful of users we had that were like so engaged, um, I wanted to just get an understanding from them. Like, what was it? Right. And so I'll never forget this, this one phone call I had with one of our marketers that said that, um, she has never grown her email list this quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, yeah, like, it's cool that I can measure online to offline, but this is the core value prop. And she said, you know, I don't need an agency. I don't need developers to do this. I can do it myself. I can be nimble and I can execute quickly. And that was kind of the thesis for Privy 2.0. And then the other uh, kind of uh, handful of customers that were getting a lot of engagement out of it were not the restaurants, they were the, the retailers that actually happened to be selling online as well. And they said like, hey, we're actually now generating more revenue online than we do through our brick and mortar business and are thinking about pouring everything we have to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. So that concept of growing your email list, right? Simple tools to grow your email list, and a focus, 100% focus on e-commerce, um, plus 
kind of changing our go-to-market away from direct sales and contracts into just free, quick time to value. Like that was the, the three-pronged approach that like just, it kind of feels like it took off overnight. And I'll never forget, like we, we called it Phoenix, like we we're rising from the ashes, this new iteration of the product. And um, it, it was crazy. We, we built a brand new version of the product in like three weeks. We launched it. We didn't even have a, a premium or a paid version of it, but we didn't care. It was really just like proving to ourselves and to the handfuls of users that we had that we were doing something of value. And that was January 2016. Um, we stopped talking to investors. We hid in a room. Uh, they just built features and integrations. And I just did live chat support for our customers. And uh, from January 2016 uh, to uh, December 2018, we went from zero to four million in revenue. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it feels like we blinked and, and that happened. Okay, so um, how did you get traction? Like, it's one thing to say, okay, we got a, you know, a cool product, but, you know, how do you actually end up getting, you know, the, you know, the demand side? Yeah, so um, e- e-commerce was really starting to accelerate. I mean, e-commerce has been around since 1999, but we found that there were certain ecosystems that were really flourishing. And uh, those were Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, et cetera. And we found that every single e-commerce business benefits from growing their email list. So the initial set of tools that Privy was focused on for e-commerce married with the distribution of the app stores in those ecosystems. and our free version, right? At the time, we didn't have a paid version. Like that was where we struck gold. Um, and so we, we started to get uh, a lot of momentum from those app stores. And then candidly, I was just kind of like rolling up my sleeves. I was in e-commerce forums. I was on Reddit. I was on Quora. I was in uh, Shopify forums where people were asking about uh list growth and email capture and tools that plug into MailChimp and uh, Bronto and all the incumbents that, that these e-commerce business owners were, were using. And I would just, you know, the beauty of like offering value before you, you ask for it in return is like, it's low risk. Right. And so I'd be like, Hey, I'm Ben. This is what we're working on. I'd love for you to test it out. It's totally free. If you have feedback, let me know if there's things you want to see, tell me, uh, if you hate it, tell me. And we would, we would just kind of like be, we were that, uh, accessible team that was really there helping the merchants. That's how we describe our, our entrepreneurs. And they saw our quick, uh, support cycles. They saw our quick development cycles. And we started to also get a ton of word of mouth, uh, in the industry. And the, the onboarding process, as you mentioned, like this was something that was self-service, so was like plug and play. So if you were, if you had a website on Magento or Shopify, it was just like, what was it just a couple of clicks of a button and you, you know, could customize the email collection bar and you were off and running. Yeah. Yeah. We, we felt like, okay, there's a existing stack of tools that people are using in e-commerce, right? You have to have a store 
um, that's on one of those big players. You also probably have an incumbent email marketing service like a MailChimp. So we built 60 integrations internally so that the entire process of adding Privy to your stack did not even ask anyone to look at a line of code or know what code is. And so, you know, you'd, you'd plug Privy into your store by clicking a button. Uh, you'd be able to drag and drop these like really branded experiences for your opt-in forms, pop-ups, flyouts, bars, all of that. And you'd tell Privy where to move those contacts as you saw success. And so it was just like this really seamless experience where a lot of our merchants were capturing leads uh, before they ever even realized they were like live with Privy. And that, how did you figure out the pricing side? Like, so how did you, all right, we, we're giving this away, we're getting value, we're getting great feedback, we're starting to see massive adoption. At what point are you like, okay, we need to start charging for this. And then how did you determine what to charge? Yeah, so we were coming from a place where um, we were religious about the ROI of our engineering time. And so we started and, and started getting traction with that free plan. And then as the feature requests were coming in and the user base was growing, and I'm talking like, you know, month one, it was like 100 users were coming, 200 the next, 400, 800, it really started to steamroll. The beauty of talking to your customers is that you're getting a lot of feature requests. And every time, because I was the front line of support, I'd say, hey, that's great. Like, if we built that, would you consider paying for it? And so as a way to kind of bootstrap in this like cockroach phase of the business, um, we, we just, we would build features after we got, I don't know, maybe 20 people that said they'd pay for it. And at the time that was fantastic, be, like entering the feature based model because it, it guaranteed that ROI um, when we launched new stuff. But uh, over time, like, in, in 2019, we actually pivoted our business model away from, from features to more value-based scaling metrics. But um, you know, for, for the first couple of years, it was a fantastic way. And you know, it was just kind of like, uh, let's try a $24 plan. You know, um, that was going well. So we were like, okay, let's, let's just like reserve some features for a $79 plan. Um, and then you know, we, we rolled out uh, at the time it was called our growth plan and it was like our decoy plan um, and we were like let's just see if people are willing to pay 199 for this thing and people were just buying it so we were like okay you know there's really willingness to pay here and so it was the combination of a, a large user base that was seeing real value that felt the support um, with some quick experimentation uh, around what plans could be and what people would would actually check out for. So you finally started to see that you know um, SaaS you know revenue of recurring monthly, and you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> At what point did you feel like it's time to you know start to grow again, build the team? You, you raised a round of funding. So so what got you to that point where it's like, okay, we need you know gas for the fire? Yeah, um, you know we it feels like we blinked and we woke up and privy was a global company and um you know we have users in 180 countries and um that was really the case early on and and i said to myself like 
this is what it feel what it, what everyone wants to feel when they're starting a business right there you wake up and there's you know 400 more new users that are getting value out of your software and you're like mm -hmm. when that really started to happen that was also at a point where we had this like religious culture of of cash flow right and a focus uh, on on generating revenue and what i found was we we were kind of like, we know we, we, we would benefit from another developer as an example. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I actually, I can't do that right now, right? Because we don't have the cash to do it. Let's wait for another two months of revenue growth. Yeah. And when you take that and you take the realization that you're a global business and you are at the forefront of a market that is just like growing like crazy, and, and that's a moment where, you know, after a lot of discussion internally, where we said, you know what, let's, let's actually take on some capital here because how many times in your life are you presented with that opportunity to actually take advantage of, of that? Um, and we knew exactly what we would do with the capital. So um, uh, Mike Volpe, uh, one of my longtime supporters from, from the original iteration, um, and even today uh, was kind of the one person at the time who was tracking our numbers regularly and, and coaching me through the pivot and was like, I'll invest more. Um, and then Acopolis, who had seeded me originally, um, and Sam Clemens, who, who was a former VP of product at HubSpot and started uh, Insight Squared, joined Accomplice in 2017. He just absolutely fell in love with the business. Uh, saw a lot of parallels and uh, came on as well. So, um, you know, it, it also helped to have some folks around me that that saw how big this could be, even at a time when I had some, you know, uh, chips on my shoulders, so to speak, of, of the first iteration of the company mm -hmm. um, and maybe wasn't feeling the most confident in the world. Well, let's talk about, Privy today. So I'm sure it's evolved as far as the value and, and the product in itself. So what are you doing today? And then current, you know, stage of the company as far as, you know, the growth of you know, customers, users, whatever you can share. Yeah. So uh, Privy today is the global leader in e-commerce marketing for small businesses. So uh, our mission is to provide these entrepreneurs with the tools, right? The software, but also the support and the education to not just launch their stores, but grow their businesses. Uh, so we have over 400,000 stores today all over the world that turn to Privy for marketing automation. Uh, we've been growing the company revenues 100% year over year the last four years. Um, and uh, this year we grew the company here in, in Boston from 30 to 70 employees. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing, yeah. amazing growth. It's been a good run. So what's, uh, what's in store as far as uh, hiring and, and plans for, for next year? Yeah, so we're kind of at a, another one of these crossroads. We, um, you know, we capture our businesses early in their life cycles. We talk a lot about this concept of like time zero. After they launch their store and they're ready to grow it, they turn to Privy. And so that's kind of afforded us the ability to think about additional tools we can roll in under this like all-in-one e-commerce solution. Um, so we rolled out an email marketing solution for e-commerce businesses. Um, 
by the time this airs, uh, we'll, we'll have our text message marketing solution in, in market as well. And uh, we just feel like there's a tremendous opportunity to continue expanding into the like the front office operating system for e-commerce. Um, so, uh, you know, we've, we've grown the team a lot. Um, we are certainly thinking about more capital right now um, and uh, bringing in uh, additional leadership and happy to share our announcement today um, that will help level this company up into uh, the global leader that it, it really can be. So, so look, let's talk about that. So uh, you are adding a, a key executive to the team that has recently been announced. So uh, who is that and, and what, are your, what are your hopes there? Yeah, so super excited. We just brought Dave Gearhart in uh, as the CMO of Privy. Um, and Dave, I've known for years um, and uh, probably like a lot of people that listen to this podcast have learned a lot from uh, as marketers or aspiring marketers. Um, and one of the things that, that I thought a lot about is like, there's a lot of macro trends that are supporting Privy's growth right now. One of those is what this next wave of entrepreneurship really looks like, right? Um, it used to be you start a brick and mortar location, small business. Uh, now it's actually you start an e-commerce business online. And um, we've obviously got, got a great set of software tools to support those folks. But a big part of it is helping our entrepreneurs become better marketers themselves. And, you know, my opinion is that there's probably no one better in the world right now at doing that than Dave. Um, so, you know, I think he's going to help us continue to level up our, our brand and our story here at Privy, but uh, certainly have a big impact on building the educational frameworks and coaching our customers on how to do the same for their businesses. Yeah, Dave, I mean, he's just an amazing marketer. I've known him for years. It's just been awesome to see how his career has grown. And I mean, Drift, I mean, it's just, it's been a rocket ship. And uh, he was such a key piece of making that happen. Uh, and I, I, I just follow his playbook because he's, he's so good on sharing his knowledge that I just absorb what he says and, and try to apply that to what we're doing here at VentureFizz. So uh, really excited to see what he puts out for, for Privy. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned that I am very interested about is is text messaging, right? So that's another channel there. You're going to own that one-to-one relationship with with your customer. So what what is that going to look like? I mean, for example, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, like he is promoting his phone number out there because he wants your number to be able to communicate with you directly, right? So so what is this channel all about? Because this is a, a newer kind of thing than that that's becoming more mainstay. Yeah. Um. I think it's also important to, to take a step back to um, and think about like your own consumer behavior, right? So, um, you know, a lot of people say uh, when they're thinking about adding lead capture forms, like, oh, I'd never put my email address into a, a pop-up, right? Or a, a form. Um, but here we are later, you know, we've helped our merchants uh, build over 300 million email relationships. Um, I think a lot of people, when they hear text marketing, feel exactly the same. Oh, I would never give my text, right? Um, but I think the important thing to, to realize about text is there are scenarios where it can add tremendous value. And a good example of that is, uh, I don't know, have you ever bought anything uh, off Wayfair? I have, yeah. 
So I were doing some work on my house right now and, and uh, bought a bunch through Wayfair. And uh, I actually am getting text messages on delivery statuses and when those are coming, right? Like that's a great example of adding value through a, a specific channel. Another is um, like if you're flying or take Amtrak, right? Um, you can get the same thing. Like I actually, for something that's critical to where I am in my life, I prefer text. Um, and I think that same thing is, is what we're starting to see in uh, e-commerce as well. And from a marketing perspective and a channel, you, you mentioned it, right? This is another channel where you as the business or the entrepreneur or the marketer actually own that relationship um, as long as you're doing it in a compliant manner. And when you compare email to text, like email is the anchor of how we do business but uh, you, you don't open every email, right? Uh, but think about, you know, in your own personal life, Keith, like uh, when was the last time you got a text message that you didn't read? Yeah, no, it's definitely an area that, um, you know, you, you still have this like tremendous, um, like you're, it's still an area where I can control. I'm sure most people probably do what I do with email. So I have my business email, I have probably two personal Gmail accounts, right? One that I actually use and the other one that I do send a lot of stuff that I'll monitor once or twice a week and clean it out. But, um, you know, still the, the texting piece, I, I do love those use cases that you mentioned where if a delivery is coming, UPS is coming, whatever it's and then, uh, or I have an appointment coming up. I do love that type of communication. Um, you know, uh, you know, there are, companies that are using it, you know, for subscription businesses, right? Like to continue your subscription, you know, one, I mean, there's, I had a founder of a, a company that is using text messaging as the only way to purchase the product, you know? So yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a huge, huge growth area. That's going to be exciting to see. Yeah. And, and the other uh, big push for us is we have just such an international user base. Um, and, uh, a lot of the businesses that we work with, their customer demographic is younger, uh, and entirely text based. So, um, you know, we, we are super excited about our push into email and, and that'll remain the anchor for quite some time, but, um, we need to really provide the tools, uh, to communicate and, and nurture customers regardless of channel and, uh, text and, and email are, are really powerful opportunities for direct to consumer businesses. Now let's talk about, um, you know, advice for other entrepreneurs to follow. Like you went through a very successful pivot. So, um, you know, when did, or what would you advise other founders on of, you know, giving the product enough time, enough time to breathe, to explore the market versus, you know, quickly pivoting and trying something new. I think there's also that opposite side where some entrepreneurs pivot too quickly because they didn't give it enough time to breathe as far as the idea and the market adoption. Yeah. You know, I think, and, and I fell into a lot of these traps, but I think as founders, um, we, we focus on the wrong things initially, right? You focus on raising the seed round. You focus on building the team. Um, I think, especially with the way technology has evolved, you don't need any of that to start a company. And if I were to do it again, right, and this is what we did in, in the incarnate, reincarnation of Privy, all I did was talk to customers. And like, you could do that today without a product, 
right? Um, so I think just focusing early on talking to customers, really understanding the persona, the problems they have, uh, what they're doing today to try to solve those problems, and how they might be willing to try new stuff that could solve those problems. Like that, that is all I would focus on. And, you know, the interesting thing about fundraising is if you're talking to customers and you're adding value early, you have a quicker feedback loops. Um, and you might find that you actually don't need capital to get a business off the ground. Like there's a huge movement around cash flow positive software companies. And um, I'm not, I, I really believe there's a time and a place to invest in, in businesses. Um, so I'm not saying, you know, don't raise money ever, but certainly early on, like it's just so easy to get distracted with things that don't matter for your business. And the reality of investor conversations is just because 20 people tell you it's an awful idea, they're telling you and it's an, it's an awful idea because they probably know more about your business than you do. But if you are the one every day, day in and day out, all day talking to customers, then you'll actually build up the confidence where you know more about what's happening than they do. And that is like, that is an amazing spot to be if you decide you need capital. But if you're doing that, you'll also find that you can generate revenue quickly and may not need capital. Right. Now, what about communicating the status of the business with investors? So it's easy to report the good news. Hey, great month, great quarter, or whatever the reporting is. Uh, you know, rock, hockey stick growth, everything's all hunky-dory. But when you were in the times where things weren't so bright at Privy, like, what, like how would you advise other entrepreneurs on communicating the bad news to, to investors? And like, like not easy to do and, and what do you think they should get out of that yeah so i think you know one thing i did wrong was i got a lot of investors in the business that don't have a lot of experience investing in, in companies and um you know and I, I also have some amazing investors too and i'll never forget when our acquisition deal fell apart the first person i called was accomplice dustin dolganow who who's uh, out in san francisco now and I, I, I told him, I said, hey, uh, the deal fell apart. And, you know, when you're working with investors that understand the business, what they care about is how you handle situations, your effort, your communication, and your honesty. No investor, no seed investor or angel investor that knows what they're doing expects every company to be, you know, a hockey stick from day one, right? And so I, I found like in this reincarnation of the business, my, my monthly updates to my investors, they take a very similar format. They're almost entirely the same and they're metric fo focused up top. Here's our, our uh, month over month growth on the key metrics that matter at the board level. Um, underneath there's uh, some more color around non-numerical things that are happening in the business, whether that's a partnership or, um, you know, we're, we're letting someone go, whatever it may be. Um, and, and I just find like the consistent cadence for me, that's once a month, um, as well as the consistency in how you format those updates 
is what really matters in, in helping people stay up to date on the business. And that way, you know, if something bad happens, like at least they understand how you, you work and you've been building the business and it's just part of it. In that email, do you include like asks too? Like, hey, you know, we're, we're hiring. And if you know salespeople or do you have it, like I'm, I'm looking for help with this problem I'm trying to solve or. Yeah, like sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes I do that. Um, I try to make those really pointed. Um, I also find that a lot of times they get lost in the investor updates. So, um, you know, my cadence with uh, Accomplice, Sam Clemens right now is, we have a meeting on the books for in person once a month. Um, I also send a once a month update. Um, and we have a, a board meeting every three months. And, uh, you know, I feel like there's very few surprises when communication is regular. Um, and you just get in that habit. It actually just makes harder conversations simpler when everyone is up to speed. And that's, you know, that, that doesn't matter. Like I feel the same way inside the company. Right. So I, I do a, an email out to the entire company every week. I do a monthly update around all our numbers, the same metrics that I send to the investors. Um, and we do a quarterly all hands like town hall thing um, after the board meeting as well. So I find it's easier to run your business and uh, maintain cross team communication or investor communication when you're just regularly sharing. How about uh, content that you're consuming? So do you have any books that you'd recommend, uh, podcasts that you listen to other than the VentureFizz podcast, of course, but, uh, uh, and they can be for fun. They don't have to be business, but um, you know, what are you checking out these days? Yeah, um, so I'm reading a lot of Daniel Tiger these days. Um, I don't know if you know Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Tiger is a little kid's book for my three-year-old daughter. Um, See, I have two teenagers now. That's why I was okay. like, no, nah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, uh, some, some baby shark. Um, no, so I, uh, I like to read business books. I, I like to read stories of entrepreneurship. Um, the, the last two that I've, I've read uh, would be uh, Benioff's um, story about Salesforce and uh, Jerry Colonna Reboot, uh, which is about you know, uh, CEOs and, and entrepreneurship and getting rid of your demons sort of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to think about what comes next for me, but yeah, I love, I love reading, um, in terms of, uh, podcasts I listen to other than venture fizz, um, you know, there's, uh, Nathan Latka's, uh, about SaaS companies, which I, I find interesting. They're like quick hits, uh, was a huge fan of, of seeking wisdom, David Cancel and, and Gearheart. Um, and I'm sure there are more too, but constantly consuming. So what do you do for fun outside of work? It sounds like you're, you're busy with family, but uh, what, what do you like to do for fun? Right now, that's, that's all I've got. You know, really try to do a lot to balance uh, work with uh, being a great, great father to my daughter and, and husband to my wife. Um, so try to leave early, get home for dinner, uh, and, and really be focused on them on the weekends as much as I can. Well, Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to bring us through, you know, your background and obviously the journey of Privy, the uh, eight year overnight success story that it is. <laughs> and uh, all the ups and downs and kind of the general advice questions that you shared with, uh, with, with our audience here. Yeah, my pleasure, Keith. Great to catch up.
And if you are, you know, the Privy is hiring. So if you are interested in checking out opportunities and joining the, uh, the rocket ship, uh, go to their biz page on VentureFizz, which is VentureFizz.com backslash Privy, and you'll see all their listings there. Ben, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Keith. Have a great day. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.